This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Before we start this next conversation, I want to warn listeners that we'll be discussing some difficult subject matter, specifically depression, self-harm, and suicide. For the past decade, children and teens have been taking their lives at alarming rates. The CDC estimates suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 24. And experts say the pandemic has amplified the challenges adolescents normally face. This month, Chicago Public Schools is launching the Please Stay Mental Health and Suicide Prevention Campaign. It's a program designed to help middle and high school students prioritize their mental health and reach out for support when they need it. Later, we'll hear from experts about a new statewide plan to improve services for families. But first, joining us now to discuss this and more is WBEZ education reporter Susie Ahn. Susie, you've been keeping a close eye on on how the pandemic's been affecting students' mental health over the past two years or so. What have you noticed? Well, as you've covered on Reset, we know that uh, youth mental health services were in increasing demand even before the pandemic. We saw that need grow even more during the pandemic. And uh, two years later, things haven't gotten much better. This year, as most kids return to in-person schooling, we heard reports of more acting out and violent behavior even in the younger grades. Um, Schools have been investing more money in social-emotional learning. But at the end of March, the CDC released a survey that showed one in five teens have contemplated suicide. So it's a grim picture. And CPS is working with Lurie Children's Hospital to expand its partnership, right, to to support students at all the schools. And as I mentioned, the district just announced that it's launching this Please Stay campaign. What do we know about these efforts? I I got an email last night as a CPS parent. Yeah, yeah. It's a program aimed at 7th through 12th graders. Uh, CPS is the first school district to implement the Please Stay campaign. It's an initiative uh, by the suicide prevention nonprofit Find Your Anchor and Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation. It uh, teaches students about mental health, and it also um, has kids take a pledge where they agree to, to stay alive and reach out if they need help. Just basically sound the alarm if you need exactly. you need yeah. someone. Now, there's a recent lawsuit that is uh, is raising questions about how involved the schools are in addressing students' mental health. I want you to tell us a bit more about what's going on at Latin School of Chicago. Sure. So, so this was a lawsuit that was filed at the end of April by the Bronstein family. Their 15-year-old son, Nate, took his own life earlier this year um, in January. He had transferred to that school this year, um, and his parents say pretty early on he was he was bullied. 
they had been in contact with the school to address his change in behavior, mm-hmm. what they could do to help. They, they sought outside counseling for him. And, you know, in court filings, we see text threads over social media where, where kids are picking on Nate, even one message saying that he should kill himself. And so Nate had met with the dean of students to report this bullying. He was scheduled to transfer out of the school. So he was later. trying to get help. Yeah, he was scheduled to leave the school in January, but um, unfortunately he didn't make it. And his parents say they were never informed about that meeting with the dean, and they feel that if they had known about that, they could have done something. He could have intervened. Uh, You spoke with the parents who lost their son to suicide. Here's a little bit of what they had to say. Let's listen. The only day worse than January 13th when he took his life was just the kick in the gut, just knowing how we'd been betrayed by the school, how they had had this information, and they had thought only about themselves and protecting themselves and their reputations and these connected kids who took part in this. I have had so many people reach out to me to tell me that they have experienced bullying at Latin and their voices were never heard. And what is so ironic to me and so perplexing is the bullies get to stay and the victims leave. Gosh, this is a parent's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. What are they hoping will come from this lawsuit? Well, they're hoping that this won't happen to other kids. Yeah, That's a big thing. They, they hope this draws attention to bullying issues and school policies in general. But very directly, they, they are speaking to um, a culture they feel that, that exists at Latin, which protects bullies. And they want to break that apart. That is a big thing that they hope to see from this lawsuit. How's the school responding? Well, so the school um, says that the school community, of course, is, is grieving for Nate. Um, but they also say that school staff have always put students first, um, including in this situation. Uh, they aren't speaking out specifically um, about the lawsuit, at least not at this time. Um, but they say the school does not tolerate bullying. Illinois' anti-bullying law has been in place since 2006. How does it define bullying exactly? It's defined as, you know, any severe or pervasive physical or verbal act or behavior towards a student that can have an adverse effect on that student. And so what does it then require schools do to address that? All schools, public, private, must have an anti-bullying policy um, that each year they've got to, you know, inform the families that this is our policy Every two years, the school needs to review it to see if there um, needs to be any changes. When there is bullying that's reported, the school needs to inform all the students' guardians who are involved. They launch their investigation within 10 days. So it's a pretty strong policy. Any loopholes that you think would make it difficult to enforce? I'm not sure if it's more of a loophole, but I think what's what's interesting is in some of these cases I've heard is that the kids don't always speak out yeah, um, well, or that's there, one. there's a huge thing. And, and then the other thing is just even in this case, Nate had told his counselor or the dean, don't don't tell anyone. I, I, I'm just like reporting this. I don't want you to tell my parents. And it's really a hard situation to yeah. be in. So that's one thing. The other thing um, that doesn't get quite as much attention is cyberbullying. That's not necessarily a loophole because now um, – if, if a kid is doing uh, bullying someone on their phone at home, uh, that could be reported and that could be um, a bullying incident. Right. 
the last major update that Illinois made to its law was in 2014. What changed, Susie, and how much of a difference did that make? So the the cyberbullying was added to the law. Okay. Um, and that specifies what that is and um, and and makes the very important distinction that you know, when a kid is cyberbullying, that can happen in school, off school grounds, school issued devices, non school issued devices. If it's a bullying case, um, it causes substantial disruption. This is something that can be addressed by the school. Mm-hmm. How likely do you think it is that this lawsuit against Latin school will actually usher in a new round of reforms? You know, it's it's hard to know. Um, it depends on the outcome of this lawsuit, which we probably will not know for a couple of years. Okay. Um, but, you know, the state law is pretty good. The only thing is no one's checking to see how how much of a follow through there is, except for in these cases when something happens. Um, but, you know, when I've uh, spoken to experts, they say cyberbullying is is a problem. Technology continues to evolve. Uh, apps and social media evolve. And sometimes parents don't have their finger on the pulse of the trends. And that can be a problem with knowing what's happening. We try, but it changes what. so often. It changes so much. And it's and it's so hard to really just keep track of it. You find out about these things after, after the, the fact. Incident. Exactly. <laughs> after the fact. Um, so uh, another thing experts say is before you tap into those bullying policies, create a school environment that's going to be welcoming. So you will need less of that because you've done the front end work. Mm, Very, very good point. So as I started out by saying, Susie, you've been watching this mental health, right? Particularly students' mental health throughout the pandemic. What else are you going to be paying attention to as we move forward? Well, you know, as, as we've talked about before, there, there is a lot of federal money um, coming to schools that schools are still using and sometimes it can be uh, slow going, not not necessarily the fault of, of a school, but really being able to see the results of those programs that they've been able to use millions of dollars to put in place, yeah. um, both academically and for students' mental health. So uh, I would I'm hoping to see some good results there. Great reporting. That's WBEZ education reporter Susie Ahn. We are talking about the rise in depression, self-harm and suicide among U.S. adolescents during the pandemic and what schools are required to do to help address these mental health issues. Susie, thanks for the update. Thank you. I want to turn now to two experts in this area. Joining us now is Dr. Niranjan Karnik. He's the director of the Institute for Juvenile Research at University of Illinois, Chicago. Dr. Karnik, welcome to Reset. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Dr. Samir Vora. Interim Chairman of the Illinois Children's Mental Health Partnership. Hi, Dr. Vora. Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Sasha. You are both listening along to our conversation with Susie on. How much responsibility do you think schools should have in addressing mental health issues that students are facing right now? Dr. Vora, you first. Well, I think the critical component that Susie mentioned is that mental health affects all of us and through all different parts of our body and an entire child's journey, you know, their interactions with their families, with schools, with healthcare, all play into their mental health. And the idea of, well, how can we think back on a more preventive, more public health approach to sort of address these challenges? We need to sort of go to the places 
where our kids are, and schools are one of those. And I think that's some of the work that we've been trying to put forward in the Children's Mental Health Partnership is really trying to think through a more preventative public health approach to mental health issues for our children and families. Dr. Karnick, how well do you think schools are handling this this rise in, in depression and anxiety and suicide among kids? Well, I think uh, schools are struggling, and I think uh, the numbers have risen so dramatically for them. And a lot of that's because of COVID and the circumstances around it. But I think schools that are well-resourced are, of course, doing better than others yeah. that have left. Well, youth suicide was already on the rise before the COVID pandemic. Research actually shows it's been increasing every year since 2007. Why is that, Dr. Karnick? There are a number of factors, and especially COVID changed the social situation for kids. And I think your reporter was talking about cyberbullying. Yeah. I think that has been a factor in expanding this and creating more stress on kids. I liken social media to kids having a room that extends off their physical room that they spend a lot of time in. And parents need to be aware that they're in that space and they're susceptible to other people in that space. And that's why I think COVID was so toxic in some way, Hmm. because kids spend a lot of time in those social media rooms. Dr. Vora, your your partnership just released the Illinois Children's Mental Health Plan. It's a five-year plan with five goals. How did it come together and what's the vision behind it? The Children's Mental Health Partnership was actually created uh, back in 2003 by the passage of the Children's Mental Health Act. And it's meant to be a unique kind of statewide public-private partnership that's thinking about a public health approach to really address and build a coordinated and comprehensive mental health system. So the first of its kind Children's Mental Health Plan was created back in 2005 and really had experts from what we're talking about, a broad range of experiences, community mental health, early childhood, education, health, violence prevention, juvenile justice. And it really allowed Illinois to be a national leader, especially advancing standards around social-emotional learning. You know, the plan had some mild updates in 2012, but hadn't had a new full-on plan in nearly 17 years. And as Dr. Karnick mentioned, you know, there's so much changes in the way that our children are feeling that stress and anxiety leading to depression and suicide. And because of the way that this once-in-a-generation pandemic exacerbated those issues, it felt like now was the right time to engage the entire state focus around, you know, the values and the sort of unique values of equity, diversity, inclusion, really focusing on our youth. And we spent a lot of time engaging. We engaged with over 800 individuals in this plan from 68 of the 102 counties across the state. We really identified over 100 youth that we wanted to talk to to really get a sense of what the problems were and the challenges were around children's mental health, but also learn about innovative practices and then streamline a place over the next five years where we could get 
five goals that we can start building that foundation that's needed to make sure our children and their families can have improved mental health and really be a part of their total health. Dr. Karnick, you, you said something a moment ago that's still sticking with me. And you, you, when you talked about kids, you know, being online, and you talked about the pandemic being toxic. What are yeah. risk factors that, that parents and caregivers should look out for in their kids? Well, I think I think it's a hard thing for parents to see now because they have gotten used to their kids being at home when we were locked down, and now these kids are going back. And I think we need to give kids time to adjust. They need to come back to a new sense of themselves in this space. And look, it's scary. You know, we've had this infectious disease that's still around us and still present, and kids are scared and they're worried about this. In addition, they're dealing with things like bullying. and They're dealing with all these things that have been there pre-COVID. So I think parents should look for changes in their kids' sleep patterns. They should look at whether their kids are more withdrawn or are they spending time alone in their rooms. And if they are spending time in their rooms, odds are these kids are spending time on social media. Mm-hmm. And parents need to be having open conversations with their kids about social media. We do such a poor job right now of giving kids literacy and skills and tools on how to manage their world in social media. It's such a big part of their lives. How do we do it, though, Dr. Karnick? How, how do we talk to our kids and teens about mental health? Well, I think we need to be able to be honest with them about mental health is a part of our health overall. And I think one of the things that we've started to see is that we have public figures people in the entertainment industry and sports who have come forward talking very honestly about their mental illness. Those can be starting points for parents to talk to their kids about this. And I think parents themselves are having mental health challenges. It is okay to share that with your kids. And parents are trying to protect their kids. And curiously, kids try to protect their parents, right? And that's where the silence comes. And I think if the parents are willing to share some of their struggles, that will allow the kids to then share theirs. So when they share and, 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 and if they bring up topics of, of self-harm or suicide, how do we as parents respond to that? Well, first of all, don't immediately panic, right? I think that one of the things that parents do is they go from zero to 60 because, of course, this is a frightening thing to discuss. But I think it's important to understand whether they are having a plan right now. Is there something that they're, that they're feeling really acutely, you know, in the moment, or is this something that happened before in the past that can help parents to gauge, you know, how acute is this? Mm-hmm. And, and they should always be asking for help. And I'm so thankful that we now have 988 and in what, two months, this is going to go live Parents and kids should feel free to use that as a resource. We now have a central place in this country where you can call for help. You can text for help. You know, this is, and and I think my understanding is that they're going to continue to expand the 988 system over time. Dr. Vora, there's a piece in the New York Times today that's um, pointing out that many areas in this country actually don't have enough 
psychiatrists to deal with the youth mental health crisis. Some families could even face a month-long wait. So how can we address that part of the problem? Yeah, no, Illinois um, you know, struggles with that too. 80 of our 102 counties don't have a child or adolescent psychiatrist or services. And, you know, that piece in the New York Times shows the plight of a general pediatrician. You know, I'm a general pediatrician. I, I practice here in Springfield, Illinois, along with my, you know, academic role as uh, the chair of SIU School of Medicine's Department of Population Science and Policy. And to to be able to think through well, how can I do what's best to help this child and their family in a 15-minute uh, office visit yeah. is, is very difficult. And I think more and more what, what we are seeing is that this anxiety and depression, um, and as Dr. Karnick said, that our kids are facing these, these huge challenges and in ways that with social media, media and I had... You know, a child described to me um, just a few weeks ago that because of her being in this separate room, you know, she was constantly reliving her, you know, humiliation because she could play it again or somebody was sending it to her Mm -hmm. um, in ways that maybe, you know, before social media, you were playing that back in your mind, but only a few people might have seen it. And now they'd be able to amplify those levels and really causing that kind of stress and burden. And I think there are ways that innovative things that are being, you know, talked about. But it's also, I think, linkages that we can create between physicians and teachers and mental health providers and community leaders to be able to talk about these issues be able to provide support and the support that can go really that this can't be just thought of as a child health issue. I think one of the things that we've tried very much in our plan and our communication, what we're hearing, that it's about children's families and the communities in which they live. And all of that needs sort of a comprehensive strategy because if you're not dealing with the family's mental health, then the child's going to be affected. Right. If you're not figuring out the community resources in place, then those families and children are going to be affected. And we need this yeah. community-driven solution. It's our issue. That is Dr. Samir Vora with the Illinois Children's Mental Health Partnership. Also, Dr. Naranjan Karnik with the Institute for Juvenile Research at University of Illinois, Chicago. Now, the National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. That's it for today's Reset. For more conversations about Chicago politics, news, and entertainment, subscribe to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and you can catch us back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.